I've called my talk tonight, Seeking for Happiness Brings Unhappiness. If we come across a new therapy, or new consciousness-raising group, or a new religion, and it promises us happiness, we're immediately interested. If it promises us a better life, a better future, that we'll become better people, more tolerant, more tranquil, wiser. We want this new approach to living. We immediately want to join this new group. Always, we are seeking to become different, which is tantamount to saying that right now, we do not like what we are. We consider ourselves not to be up to scratch. We consider that we are inadequate, either in the area of relationships, or intellect, or career, or meditation, or whatever. This inadequacy disturbs us. We are sure that sometime off in the future, we will be more satisfied with ourselves. But only once we have mastered a psychic power or two, or have a less hectic lifestyle, or when we have more money, or have learned how to overcome the mental hindrances. Once we have corrected what we see as our inadequacies, then we'll be more satisfied with our performance as human beings. And we'll really be content and start living life to the full when we've learned how to get onto the spiritual path and are heading towards enlightenment. Always, therefore, happiness and fulfillment lie off in the future when we're different from the way we are right now. We try and change ourselves and what we are experiencing in the moment because we believe that it is only by this that we can become happy. Always we seek happiness and the very seeking makes us feel constricted and unhappy. How many of you sit down to meditate, shut your eyes, and immediately feel heavy, dull, bored, and have various aches and pains in the body? Why? Because you seek. When you meditate, you seek to become something other. You find it impossible to sit and be content with the moment, which is true meditation. You're constantly seeking to change yourself. You seek to become different. You seek to fill your universe with light and joy and happiness. But that very seeking prevents you from getting happiness. That very seeking makes you miserable. For that seeking is craving. If you seek happiness, all you get is unhappiness. If you seek calm, all you get is turmoil. If you seek harmonious relationships, all you get is disharmony. 
If you seek wisdom, all you get is stupidity. You need to learn how to abandon seeking. You need to learn how to abandon your search for happiness. And when you can seek, stop seeking, then and only then will happiness visit you. That happiness does visit. That happiness does visit when seeking is abandoned. It was strikingly illustrated for a meditator whilst he was listening to one of our lectures on enlightenment. When he heard the words, Nibbana is closer to you than breathing. You do not have to seek for it. Just be still and know it. He so fully believed what he heard that he temporarily abandoned his habitual seeking for something other. Abandoning seeking, his mind became full of joy and spaciousness and lightness. And the meditation that followed the lecture was a pleasure for him to do. Unfortunately, this state of affairs didn't last. As soon as he forgot the words of the teacher, he reverted to his old habitual tendency to seek for something other than what he was experiencing in the moment. And so back came the mental restriction, the body pains, and the dissatisfaction with the moment. Why did you seek to meditate in the first place? Most people seek meditation because they feel inside a sense of unease, a lack of true happiness. Even if you have managed to rid yourself of that dissatisfaction from time to time, through a good conversation with a close friend, or through buying a brand new outfit, or through clinching a lucrative business deal, the dissatisfaction was only smothered for a while. It is that sense of inner disturbance that drove you to seek and find a spiritual way. And even now, there is no sense of rest within you. You do not feel that you can relax into the moment, that your seeking and your work are at last over. You know that quite soon, anxiety or hatred or frustration will return and that the inner disturbance will be back again, triggering you off once more to seek for something that will put an end to the internal disquiet. It is that experience of dissatisfaction that keeps you working at the meditative path. All men are seeking to rid themselves of this inner burden of pain, which is so often deep within. Some try to free themselves from the pain by taking drugs or drink. Others try to free themselves through career or travel or relationships. Others seek religion. All spiritual and religious ways 
are trying to free their followers from this inner pain. Each has its own method as to how best to get rid of this suffering. Some recommend that a really moral life is the only way to free a person from guilt. Others say devotion to God will do the trick. Others recommend meditation. Others still say no. The only way to feel good inside is by service to mankind, through something like nursing or caring for the mentally handicapped. Still others say that you should go and live in a deprived part of the world and help those less fortunate than yourself in order to feel life has meaning and depth. Many Buddhists believe that only by pledging themselves to the Bodhisattva ideal, which is to work for the freedom of all beings, will they stand any chance of one day being released from their own inner burden of dissatisfaction. So man abandons one kind of seeking, that of seeking after material wealth or career or family as the ultimate solution to quieten that inner disturbance. He abandons this kind of seeking for another kind, religion, in the hopes that it will provide a permanent sense of happiness and fulfillment that the other goals have failed to provide. Religion, if faithfully followed, will bring its own glimpses of happiness. But how does this help? For so does getting married or starting a new business or going to a good concert bring their own glimpses of happiness. The trouble is that all of these things also bring with them dissatisfaction and pain. None of these things get rid of the inner tension. The only thing that can get rid of unhappiness is a very examination of the seeking itself. That seeking is done within, in your own mind. It is something you do. You move the mind. You push it towards seeking after this or that. Looking at and letting go of this continual seeking is not to be found out there in religion or in psychotherapy or in the act of sitting on a chair with your eyes closed doing something called meditation. It is not to be found in meditation teachers or in their words. Stopping seeking is not available in a religion or in meditation or in spiritual teachers. It is only when you turn your attention back on yourself and examine the mechanics of seeking itself that you begin to get a glimmer as to why your mind is so often disturbed. When you look directly at the mechanics of seeking, 
no longer do you search for peace and calm and enlightenment. No longer do you seek spiritual truths. No longer are you interested in traveling along a spiritual path. For you understand and you see clearly that it is the very seeking for these things which is the problem. And it is that seeking which brings about the inner constriction and unhappiness. Does abandoning seeking therefore mean that one should do nothing? Let us explore a few examples. Many have looked within and seen this inner disturbance. A woman sells her home and moves to another town. The whole experience is disturbing. Dealing with the solicitor, organizing the removal men, ensuring they don't damage family heirlooms, settling in a new town, getting used to new rooms, making new friends, getting used to unfamiliar positionings of cupboards and shelves, all of this is very disturbing. Inside there is pain and inner constriction, feelings of insecurity, loneliness, masses of wondering as to whether she has done the right thing. So disturbed is she that she vows never to move again. A man organizes his day in such detail that he knows exactly what he is going to be doing at 11.05 today, tomorrow, next week and next month. He knows what time he will rise, what time he will shave, what time he will have his breakfast, what time he will read the newspaper and what time he'll set off for work. He knows what day he will visit his mother and how long he will stay. He knows which day he will go on vacation and which filling station he will stop at to buy petrol. He spends his week's holiday in the same beach cottage on the same stretch of Dorset coast that he has rented every year during the first week in June for the past 15 years. In advance, he knows what he will do every minute of every day for the next 10 years. With this military regime that he has worked out for himself, he feels safe, which eliminates a great deal of the inner disturbance. But on the way to his beach cottage, his car breaks down. He didn't plan for this. This event is not scheduled in his daily timetable. <laughs> it's 9 p.m. His timetable says he should be at the cottage by now, unloading his luggage. His car's broken down on a deserted country lane. There's no house in sight. It's getting dark and it's begun to rain. And he never did join the AA. He chews over in mind how being towed away at night will cost a fortune, which throws out of balance his carefully calculated finances. As he walks along the dark, wet, deserted country lane, he feels wretched. He's disturbed inside. He vows never to drive again. 
A man meets a woman. He's attracted. He wants to ask her out on a date. But he wonders, will she reject me if I ask her out? She's taller than me. Perhaps she doesn't like men smaller than her. He feels disturbed. He feels unconfident. He doesn't like this feeling. He wants it to be other. He wants to feel good inside. His solution to the inner disturbance? He decides not to ask her out. Furthermore, he resolves never again to ask any woman out. After all, any woman will eventually leave him, and that'll hurt. So what's the point in dating a woman? He's looked inside of himself, and he's seen disturbance. The woman moving house, the man going on holiday, the gentleman who wanted a date, they all looked inside, and what did they see? They all observed suffering within. Each one chose a way of handling that suffering, and all three of them chose exactly the same approach. Having observed the tension that is always present when man moves from the familiar to the unfamiliar, they responded by immediately seeking happiness. The woman who moved house observed the tension within her that arose at having to deal with solicitors, removal men, and a new house, all new things. She'd never dealt with solicitors or removal men before. She'd never changed residence before. All of these things were new. Change was an operation. She was leaving the familiar and the known and stepping into the unknown. Unpleasant tensions arose with all of this change, all of which is very normal and very natural. Tension is part and parcel of new events and is no problem. It only becomes a problem when the person experiencing the tension that is inherent in change thinks that it's unnatural and should not be there. They think that somehow or other they are lesser, inadequate beings for experiencing this tension. They don't want it and seek instantly to rid themselves of it. They seek to become something other than tense in the moment. When the seeking occurs, then the person is disturbed, dissatisfied. Inwardly, they are constricted and in pain. All three people in the example chose to get rid of their tension by deciding never to do that activity again. The woman vowed never to move house again. The man vowed never to drive a car again. And the gentleman who found starting relationships with women painful vowed never to go out with a woman again. But were those three decisions decisions that would lead to a lessening of inner dissatisfaction? Those making them thought so. 
but the only way to lessen inner pain is to abandon seeking. And these three people were most definitely seeking. They sought to have feelings inside of themselves, different from the feelings They sought to have feelings inside of themselves, different from the feelings they actually experienced. They sought to be free from the inner pain. And to accomplish this, they chose not to move house, not to drive a car, and not to date. With time, they will discover that the action they chose to rid themselves of inner pain doesn't work but rather will it increase their inner disturbance. For they have chosen the method of avoidance rather than the method of facing up to the pain. When one faces pain, one steps right into the middle of it. And when one does this, one chooses the path of non-seeking. Life is painful. It's full of problems. Hardly a week goes by without you being presented with a problem. Either the washing machine breaks down and floods the kitchen, or your child breaks an arm, or there are storms and the greenhouse gets blown over, or the telephone bill arrives, and it's larger than you had budgeted for. So arguments rage as to who is overusing the phone. Life is a continuous series of problems. Some minor, some major. All are uncomfortable. All cause inner pain. Each person immediately makes a move to get away from this pain. Every decision you make, whether it's to shift your position while sitting meditating, or to change job, or house, or relationship, is made because you want to get away from the pain of the moment. And whatever decision you come up with has only one consideration in it, that it should take you towards a state which is happier and more comfortable than the state you are experiencing right now. Problems, whether they be how to stop wrong concentrating or how to live with terminal cancer or how to mend a plug if you're non-mechanical all of these problems, they usually arouse in us feelings of frustration or anger or depression or anxiety. All are unpleasant, all are painful. Immediately we become conscious of this inner pain, we make a decision to get away from it. But many of the decisions we make are very unwise. For although the action we take relieves the pain in the moment, it usually brings twice as much pain tumbling down upon us at some later date. 
man who steals a video because he doesn't have sufficient cash to buy one certainly solves the problem of pain in the moment. He no longer feels angry and resentful at not having what others have. But when his stealing habits put him behind bars, the inner frustration and pain that he will then experience will be greater than the dissatisfaction that drove him to steal the video in the first place. So the movement he makes to get away from inner dissatisfaction just doesn't work. Because in the long run, it brings an increase of inner pain. Those who come to realize that unethical behavior brings about a tremendous amount of inner conflict tend to give it up. Not because their parents tell them to, or because their religion, or their counselor, or their neighbor tells them to, but because they wish to lessen their inner pain. And they have come to realize that, un that ethical behavior makes for more peace within. But even for the ethical, there are still problems. Moving house, developing new relationships, getting ill, reaching the age of 40, the age when you most commonly hear the phrase, it's not fat, it's muscle. All these events stir within us a myriad of feelings, many of which are unpleasant. Because of this inner unpleasantness, we regard moving house as a problem getting to know new people as a problem, getting ill and getting old as a problem. Because life's full of problems, we moan. We moan about moving house and look forward to the day when it's over. We moan about being ill and look forward to the time when we are free of it. We moan about getting old and pretend it's not happening. Or we moan about how life has settled into a rut. How we've been living the same existence for the past 10 or 15 years. Often, this is when the husband or the wife goes off with a new partner, which solves one problem, they are no longer in a rut but brings lots of other problems in its wake, like ex, angry partners, angry children, divorce, less money, a new partner and home that have to be adjusted to. Such a person is back on the treadmill of inner pain. They have made a major life decision in order to get away from inner pain only to find that their decision has changed so many events and so many relationships in their life. And wherever there is change, there is tension. So they discover that they still have inner pain. Nothing has been solved. It is only when we develop a totally new and revolutionary approach to problems 
but they cease to be problems. And what is that revolutionary approach? It is seeing clearly that change and tension go together. You cannot have one without the other. If you go on holiday, there is a change in your daily routine. And along with that change comes tension. All that accompanies the festival of Christmas. Meeting up with relatives you hardly ever see. Buying lots of presents. Eating lots of food at unusual times of the day. All is change. Therefore, it will be accompanied by tension, by dukkha. Everyone realizes that the death of someone close is a sad event and is likely to give rise to much inner pain. But few observe that pleasant events like going on holiday and Christmas also bring inner pain. Where there is change, there is suffering. That is the law. Change and suffering are as inseparable as your nose is from your face. If you turn your face to the left, your nose turns to the left. It is unthinkable that your nose should stay pointing forwards whilst your face turns. That is why some who have come to observe that there is inner pain whenever they instigate a change in their life, make the decision never to introduce change. These are the people who stay in the same job, in the same house, with the same relationships for life. It is because of this very observation that the woman who experienced pain when she moved house decided never to move again. It was a realization that pain accompanies change, that the man who made sure he did the same activities at the same time every day, year in and year out, organized his life in this manner. He was so terrified of inner pain, which he knew came about because of change, that the only way he could think of lessening that pain was by introducing massive control over what he did each day, so as to make the pattern of events so predictable that there would be no change and therefore no pain. Observing that change brings suffering, the gentleman attempting to form relationships with women decided to abandon his attempts. All three people could not tolerate the inner pain that accompanies change. And the solution they came up with to solve their problem was to try and control life by introducing non-change. But this is to stifle life, to rob it of its richness, for it is the very problems themselves which give life meaning. It is the tussle with and the solving of problems which brings about inner growth. The challenge they present give us the opportunity to develop all sorts of talents and all sorts of mental qualities 
that we otherwise would not develop. It is the anxiety or guilt or fear or hatred that various life events stir within us that drives us to examine what we are doing and challenges us to come up with a more healthy mental attitude to the problem. It's the very challenge that makes us feel alive. To attempt to put a stop to that change and that challenge is to slowly die within. And when that cut-off, isolated feeling is present, the inner pain is excruciating. And it is far worse than the pain that accompanies change. There is a much wiser way to handle inner pain than to try crushing it out through control. Finding that solution is the challenge of life. It dares us to come up with an answer. When you take up Vipassana meditation, you take up that challenge. You set yourself the task of discovering the right way to handle inner pain. Some may say, but I don't experience life as continually filled with pain and problems. In fact, I quite often get a great deal of pleasure out of life. I get pleasure from deep conversations, from watching dramatic sunsets, from listening to classical music, from laughter. However, if you look closely at pleasure, if you investigate its real nature deeply enough, you will discover that it doesn't last, that it falls away. It changes into something other. And the fact that it doesn't last is disturbing. You can't feel safe with it. You can't relax into it. You can't think, ah, at last I have arrived at permanent happiness. Now I can relax. Now I can let go. And everything will be just fine and pleasant and wonderful from here on in. Pleasant feelings die away. They change. And wherever there is change, there is pain. So the true but hidden nature of pleasure is pain. Once we realize that life is filled with pain, that no matter how much we may adjust it externally, by avoiding challenges, by being ethical, or by following this or that therapy, or by joining this or that religious group, life is still painful. When we come to accept the fact that change is a part of life, and therefore pain too must be a part of life, that both are unavoidable, we stop fighting, we stop avoiding. Instead, we head straight into the pain. We open our arms to it. 
we cease to seek for happiness. When we seek for happiness, what are we seeking for? When you look at it closely, you see that to seek for happiness is nothing less than to seek to experience something different from what is being experienced in the moment. When you turn 180 degrees inwards and look intently at the mechanism of seeking, you will be startled to discover that seeking is a refusal to acknowledge the obvious. That life is full of change and that change is painful. Because you refuse to accept the obvious, you are always seeking to change it. You are constantly wanting the moment to be different than it is. So you are constantly dissatisfied with yourself. Feeling that you are not good enough at meditation, or not good enough as a marriage partner, or not good enough as a boss, or not good enough as an employee. What is this other than self-hatred? When you've got that low opinion of yourself in operation, inside there's constriction, a continuous dull ache. It's called inner pain, inner suffering, inner dissatisfaction. When you do accept the obvious, that life is filled with change and that change equals pain, no longer do you seek for the moment to be something other than its inherent nature. Not seeking freedom from pain, you find your mind flips right over. And suddenly, unexpectedly, it's free of pain. It's free of inner constriction. It's free. And for the first time in your life, there is continual happiness.